The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Wall Street looking to kick off a new trading week in the green as tech looks to halt its longest losing streak in three years. Russia halting gas flows through the Nord Stream pipeline, further pushing Europe into crisis mode. The United Kingdom choosing its next prime minister with no easy road ahead from 10 Downing. What does Boris Johnson's replacement have up her sleeve? Plus, another win for former President Trump in his challenge to the FBI raid at his Mar-a-Lago estate. And later, shocking events over the weekend around retail trading favorite Bed Bath & Beyond. It's Tuesday, September 6th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining from wherever you may be watching us around the world. Let's kick off your Tuesday morning and shortened trading weeks with a look at U.S. stock futures this morning. We are trending higher on the three major averages. Dow Jones Industrial Average trending higher by 158 points. S&P 500 higher by almost 24 and the Nasdaq up 97. Stocks coming off a sharply lower week, though, with all the major averages losing 3% or more. The Nasdaq seeing the worst of it, falling more than 4% on the week. It's now down six trading days in a row for the first time since August 2019. Let's see if we can break it today, though. Let's get you a quick check on where we are in the Treasury market and see the move on the yields. For the two-year, we are sitting at 3.468. That 10-year is at 3.256%. In the oil market, crude hovering below $90 a barrel. This morning, sitting at 87.87 for WTI crude. That's higher by more than a percent. And ice Brent crude is down about 1.5% at 94.31. We have much more on the energy markets ahead. There's a lot going on there. But let's get a quick check-in on crypto and what we are seeing here in the markets this morning for Bitcoin and Ether. Bitcoin is higher by about 1.4%, just a hair above 20,000. And Ether is higher by nearly 5% at 16.63. Let's get you a quick check on what's going on overseas in those markets. Jumana Bercetti is in our London newsroom. Jumana. Good morning, Courtney. Yes, well, the handover from Asia was pretty mixed. Uh, we didn't get a lot of movement in some of the major indices, the Nikkei, for example, and this ending up the session around flat. Some more positive momentum for the Shanghai Composite there, that index up north of one percentage point on some proposals out of the Chinese government to help shore up the economy. Over here in Europe, however, the mood is a lot more positive today than we had yesterday. Now, while the U.S. were out yesterday, we did see European markets plunge north of two percentage points. This after we walked into the announcement that Russia were cutting off the gas flows via the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. The reaction was pretty negative yesterday, but today things are looking a bit up. We've retraced about 40 percent of yesterday's losses uh, with the gains spread out across all of the indices. Uh, worth mentioning that up at the top today, the best performing sector is the retail sector. Up at the down at the bottom, we have uh, oil and gas stocks uh, not really joining in with the rally we're seeing in spot prices after that surprise OPEC plus. 
tax cuts. Uh, worth noting as well that the FTSE 100 is also one of the positive indices today, up three-tenths of a percentage point. And you'll be hearing more from our colleague Jeff in just a short while about some of the plans the new UK Prime Minister will have for the UK economy. That is absolutely right. Jumana Bershachi, thank you very much for joining us. And to your point, let's stick with Europe. UK conservatives choosing their next leader and the country's next prime minister over the weekend to replace Boris Johnson. Our own Jeff Cutmore does join us now from 10 Downing Street. Hi, Jeff. Hi, very good morning, Courtney. So this morning we've heard Boris Johnson give his valedictory speech. He is now flying to Scotland to the Queen's official residence there, Balmoral, where he will officially resign. Liz Truss will then be effectively sworn into office as Prime Minister. She is also heading to Balmoral. This normally would have been done here in London, but because of the Queen's recent mobility issues, because she is in Balmoral, they will go to her. And then effectively, Liz Truss has to put together her cabinet, and then we start to get some policy announcements. And um, it may be a little bit of a cliche, but she definitely has a very full in-tray. People in the UK are waiting on an announcement about energy. Everybody is concerned about how their bills are rising. The speculation and the leaks from the Conservative Party suggest that there will be some form of freezing of energy bills, both for consumers and for businesses, very quickly, as poss possibly as early as Thursday. And then we're expecting something like a, a supplementary budget for the country as a whole that will provide some further support in these quite difficult times with very high inflation levels. I mean, it, it's a real challenge here with the pound at a 37-year low and inflation at a 40-year high. So she has to hit the ground running and come up with some new policies fast. Back to you. It's been so active in UK policy and politics, that's for sure. And what's going on in inflation, the FX markets does not make that any easier. Jeff, can you tell us what this means for the UK's relationship with the US moving forward? Well, um, U.S. leaders will, will know her. U.S. politicians will be familiar with Liz, Liz Truss because she was the foreign secretary and she has met President Biden and apparently that meeting went quite well. But she has famously said in the past that it's a special relationship but not necessarily an exclusive relationship. And I think she has had frustrations about the slow pace of a post-Brexit trade deal with the United States. And it, it seemed at times like the uh, Democratic administration of President Biden has not been particularly keen to speed the passage of that bill because there are concerns about the way that the UK government has dealt with Northern Ireland. Now, Liz Truss has made it fairly clear she is willing to suspend parts of that agreement if she doesn't feel that she is getting progress on trade with the EU. And that would upset, I think, the, uh, the government in the United States heartily. So we'll have to, to wait and see how this beds down here. I think if I could put her on the, land, on the map, if you like, for Americans, she is a believer in Reaganomics. She believes in trickle-down economics. She believes in small government and tax cuts. So we'll see whether there is more from her administration about this. But I suspect that there are probably uh, more Republicans who will feel kinship with her economic outlook 
than there are Democrats. Back to you. Very interesting. A special but not exclusive relationship. Jeff Cutmore. Well, yet another developing story this morning and Russia scrapping plans to resume natural gas flows to Europe via the Nord Stream pipeline over the weekend after saying it discovered a leak. The pipeline, which was already running at reduced capacity, accounts for about 35 percent of Europe's total Russian gas imports. The pipeline's operator, state-controlled Gazprom, had been set to resume pipeline operations Saturday after three days of scheduled maintenance. News of the halt sent the price of European natural gas surging yesterday, though it has come down a bit and still off the highs that we saw in late August. Amid pipe down shutdown, EU leaders are reportedly drafting plans for new caps on wholesale gas prices. And as our Jeff Cutmore referred to, incoming UK Prime Minister Liz Truss is preparing her own plan to freeze consumer energy bills. Caps on energy bills, caps which are due to surge some 80 percent in the next month. And it's not just Russia rocking global energy prices. OPEC and its allies, including Russia, agreeing yesterday to slash oil production by 100,000 barrels per day in an effort to boost global energy prices that have slid in recent weeks on fears of an economic shutdown. The cut, which is a surprise to many in the energy space, accounts for one-tenth of global demand. Top OPEC producer Saudi Arabia last month flagged the possibility of OPEC cuts to address what it sees as exaggerated oil price movements. We're going to have much more on both of these stories later on in the hour. Meantime, let's get to a few of our other top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is here. Bertha, good morning. It's good to see you. Hey, good morning, Courtney. Shares of some of the most widely held Chinese tech stocks falling over the weekend as Beijing ramps up yet more COVID restrictions across the country, dealing a sharp blow to investor sentiment. As of this morning, nearly every province in the country has recorded new infections in recent days, leaving some 60 million people in lockdown with even more on edge over what new measures are yet to come. Shares of German-listed Volkswagen surging this morning. The company confirming plans it will list its iconic Porsche brand in what could be one of the largest European IPOs in years. According to the Wall Street Journal, the offering could value the sports car brand at is at as much as $84 billion cash at Volkswagen says it will use to finance its transition to electric and self-driving cars. Volkswagen intends to list Porsche on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange and offer 25% of Porsche's preferred stock to private investors in a public offering aimed for late September or early October. And Amazon says more, more than 25 million people around the world watched the premiere of its highly anticipated series, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, on Friday. Amazon says it was its biggest streaming debut in company history. It also marks the first time Amazon has released viewership data. By the way, HBO's House of the Dragon brought in roughly 10 million viewers for its series that premiered two weeks ago. So looks like Rings beats the Dragons, Courtney. These these shows are big hits. I know they have big fan bases. I can't say I know anything about either of them. I need to really get caught up to speed on these trilogies or whatever they are now. I think it's probably beyond that. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Bertha. Well, to Washington, D.C., and new developments around the FBI raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now with the latest. Bree? 
Good morning, Courtney. Yeah, well, much of the Justice Department's investigation is on hold right now after a federal judge granted Mr. Trump's request to have a special master intervene in this case. Uh, DOJ says it's looking at the judge's opinion and considering next steps. A legal victory for former President Trump. A federal judge granting his legal team's request for a third party, known as a special master, to review the evidence seized from Trump's Florida home. The ruling temporarily blocks the Justice Department's investigation into the classified documents recovered. The Department of Justice will need to think long and hard about appealing this decision rather than letting it lie. A detailed list of seized property shows Mr. Trump had more than 11,000 government-owned documents at Mar-a-Lago, 520 pages that may be considered privileged, including Mr. Trump's medical documents, correspondence related to taxes, and accounting information. If I were the government, the most important thing to me would be that time is of the essence. Mr. Trump reacted to the ruling on his Truth Social website, attacking the Justice Department and the FBI as totally corrupt. The Mar-a-Lago raid was a desperate effort to distract from Joe Biden's record of misery and failure. President Biden on the road Monday blasted Trump and what Mr. Biden calls extreme MAGA Republicans. They're extreme. And democracy is really at stake. You can't be a democracy when you support violence when you don't like the outcome of election. The judge set a Friday deadline for Trump's legal team and the Justice Department to submit recommendations for who could serve as the special master. And while this ruling does slow down the Justice Department's investigation, the judge is allowing the intelligence community to move forward with its damage assessment of potential national security risk. Courtney. Wow, Bree, so many twists and turns here. You know, former President Trump and his allies have claimed the FBI search was politically motivated. What did the judge say about the search in her ruling? Yeah, Judge Eileen Cannon did side with the federal government that there was no evidence of callous disregard for the former president's constitutional rights. Uh, but the judge also pointed out the unprecedented nature and the historic nature of this search, calling the search of a former president's home undeniably unprecedented. That is very true. I think we can all agree on that, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Thank you, Bree. Well, when we come back, preparing your portfolio for rising rates, an economic slowdown, and even higher inflation. The stocks, my next guest says, are a must-buy right now. Plus, CBS beating out Amazon, United Health, and more with an $8 billion acquisition. And later, another unexpected turn and what's been a rocky few months for Bed Bath & Beyond. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Stocks trying to put last week's losing streak in the rearview mirror. Futures this morning are indicated higher. Dow Jones Industrial Average losing a little bit of steam in the last 15 minutes, but still at more than 100 points. S&P 500 up 17. The Nasdaq indicated higher by 72. Joining me now is Chuck Lieberman. He is co-founder and chief investment officer at Advisors Capital Management. Thank you so much for joining me here, Chuck. I mean, what do you think that the market's attention is on already so far in the early going with a reversal from what we saw in the action on Friday. Now we're indicated higher. Why? Well, I think we overreacted last week. Uh, certainly the market had every reason to expect the Fed to continue to push rates higher. The economy is actually doing pretty well. And the market is torn between things like uh, weak data suggesting to some that there might be recession ahead and on the other side, inflation uh, forcing the Fed to raise rates. So what do you think about the data that we got? I guess the the jobs report some people looked at as perhaps a loosening of the labor market. I know it's only one reading. And then people saw, oh, maybe inflation has peaked, though, of course, we've got more readings go. Where do you stand on what the economic data is showing us? I don't think it's a very effective argument to tell uh, a police officer that you've slowed down from 120 miles an hour to 100 and therefore you shouldn't get a ticket. Um, the economy is still doing quite well. We're generating far more jobs than uh, can be sustained. Uh, That's generating a tighter and tighter labor market. And so underneath the surface, there's upward pressure on inflation, even though some of the transitory components of inflation are coming out of the data. And so superficially, inflation will look a little better. But if you analyze the data, the underlying reports are not yet uh, at a level where the Fed can relax. Before we uh, sort of get more specific picks from you when it comes to investment decisions, what do you make of what's going on in the energy market with this uh, prize OPEC plus cut that we got in the Nord Stream pipeline issues? Well, OPEC is not really doing much. Uh, they're, if you like staying out of it, they're happy with higher prices. Uh, they don't want to contribute to prices coming down. Uh, so they're content to sit back and really do as little as they can. Uh, Nord Stream is a concern, obviously far more for Europe than for us. Uh, We're an indirect beneficiary in a number of ways. We're exporting as much as we can, and we'll continue to do that both in natural gas and crude oil. So it's actually good for domestic industry, uh, but domestic industry is able to take advantage of that. Uh, In terms of the economy, um, it's unfortunate because Europe is likely to experience a recession. Uh, That's fairly likely. Uh, but the impact on the U.S. is much milder. You know, September is not often a strong month historically for equities. And here we are coming out of the Labor Day weekend, hopefully full steam ahead for business and the economy. What kind of investment decisions or picks do you have for some of our viewers as we are squarely in the month of September in an environment with rising rates and still uh, very persistent inflation levels? Right. And that's exactly why investors should focus on companies that benefit from either higher rates or higher inflation. Uh, So I like real estate investment trusts. They own property. Uh, Property benefits from higher inflation. Uh, The owners of those property also raise rents. Their largest cost is 
mortgages, mortgage expense, and, and those are typically fixed. So these are companies that are, if you like, uh, uh, highly geared towards uh, inflation and, and they benefit from rising rates. Uh, another group of companies that I like are some of the financials, especially the ones that are sensitive to interest rates like banks and insurance companies, specifically life insurance companies. Uh, higher interest rates help them. Uh, so you've got to play on these themes. And, of course, energy uh, is an area that will continue to benefit. The U.S. will continue to produce more. Uh, Europe is uh, clearly uh, troubled because of what's happening in Ukraine and, and Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so clearly, again, companies that own energy are well-placed to to benefit from uh, what's going on. Okay, so some real estate investment trusts, some REITs, some energy names, banks, and understand life insurance company LNC. Chuck Lieberman, thank you for joining us here this morning on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you, Courtney. Well, still on deck, extreme heat out west showing no signs of easing as California's energy grid is pushed to the breaking point. The full story when Worldwide Exchange returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. A major deal in the health sector to tell you about with Signify Health officially landing a suitor. Bertha Coombs has more on this one. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Courtney. CVS reaching a deal with the home health care company, buying it for about $8 billion. CVS saying it will pay around $30.50 a share in cash for Signify. Shares closing on Friday at $28.77. But they're up about 50% since the beginning of the summer when Signify said it was looking to do a deal. Other companies, uh, including Amazon and United Health, had also shown an interest in Signify. The deal will help CVS build on its growing healthcare services division. Signify provides technology and analytics to help with in-home patient care. And uh, the purchase by CVS comes as competitors like Walgreens and Amazon are moving further into the healthcare services division. CVS most recently acquired insured Aetna in recent years, but it has also looked to leverage its in-store minute clinics for primary care services along with home care. Signifies 10,000 clinicians will provide a big step up in that direction especially for the Medicare population. CVS and Signify expect the deal, which is subject to regulatory approval, to close in the first half of next year. They'll hold a conference call on the agreement at 8.30 this morning to discuss the details. Courtney? Very interesting, Bertha. Thank you very much. It's uh, surprising to some that Amazon got beat out on this one. I guess if they wanted to win, maybe they would have put up some more money. Well, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines outside of money and markets. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest on those. 
Hi, Courtney. Good morning. We start with another scorcher for much of the country. 46 million Americans are under heat alerts as the oppressive heat wave continues to blanket the West. Record-breaking temperatures are sizzling at 10 to 30 degrees above normal in some areas of California, continuing to add strain to the power grid. One of the two suspects in the grisly Canada stabbing spree has been found dead, and police are still searching for his brother. Damien Sanderson's body was found near a house in Saskatchewan. Police say his injuries were not self-inflicted. They believe his brother, Miles, may be injured. He has been charged with first-degree murder, attempted murder, and breaking and entering. The mass stabbing, one of the deadliest in Canada's history, left 10 dead and 18 injured. Russia has imposed personal sanctions against 25 Americans, including movie stars Sean Penn and Ben Stiller. Both actors have been outspoken critics of the war in Ukraine and Russian President Putin. Penn has been working on a documentary about the invasion, and Stiller is a goodwill ambassador for the U.N. Refugee Agency and called Ukrainian President Zelensky his hero in a personal meeting. Also permanently banned from Russia are Arizona Senators Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema and Florida Senator Rick Scott. President Biden and members of his family were also sanctioned earlier this year. For a Back to Work Tuesday morning, Courtney, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. Thank you very much, Francis. I hope you had a nice weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, coming Me up, too. a tragic turn of events at Bed Bath & Beyond as the retailer tries to stage a massive strategic turnaround. Plus, don't forget to follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to get back to work following the long holiday weekend. Futures pointing to a higher open after markets notched a third straight week of losses. European gas prices surging as Russia delivers another economic blow to the region. Moscow extending the shutdown of the Nord Stream pipeline and launching a war of words on wind flows may resume. And a critical time for retailers wrapping up the back-to-school shopping season and gearing up for the holidays as questions mount on just how much consumers may be willing to spend this year. It's Tuesday, September 6th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I am Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. I hope you had a nice weekend and wherever you may be joining us from around the world, I hope your day is starting off right, too. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here's how the markets and your money look right now. Well ahead of the opening bell, Dow Jones Industrial Average is higher by 144 points, S&P 500 up by 21, and the Nasdaq higher by 82. Let's see if we can break that Friday losing streak. To our top story this morning, and Russia scrappy plans to resume natural gas flows to Europe via the Nord Stream pipeline over the weekend after saying it discovered a leak. The pipeline, which was already running at reduced capacity, accounts for about 35 percent of Europe's total Russian gas imports. The pipeline's operator, state-controlled Gazprom, had been set to resume pipeline operations Saturday after three days of scheduled maintenance. News of the halt sending the price of European natural gas surging yesterday, though it has come down a little bit still off the highs that we saw in late August. And it's not just Russia rocking global energy markets. OPEC and its allies, including Russia, agreeing yesterday to slash oil production by 100,000 barrels per day in an effort to boost global energy prices. The cut, which is a surprise to many in the energy space, accounts for one-tenth of global demand. Top OPEC producer Saudi Arabia last month flagged the possibility of of output cuts to address what it sees as exaggerated oil price movements. OPEC's next meeting is set for early October. So to help us dig through all of this, joining me now on the CNBC Newsline, 
is Brian Sullivan. Brian, so good of you uh, to be up and join us here on what I, I think most likely is a day off for you. So tell us, I know it's hard to surprise you. Many were surprised about the OPEC plus production cut. We'll start there. Were you? Well, no, and neither should our viewers be, Courtney. By the way, good morning. Great show. I hope to be on it someday. Uh, listen, here's the <laughs> thing. Uh, we, we, we reported this a week and a half ago. We had a conversation with the Saudi energy ministry. He did not directly tell me this. It's a group decision, but we went on CNBC that day and the next day and on Twitter and social and basically said, it's my take based on my conversation that OPEC is going to cut production. I didn't know by how much, but we announced it. So, you know, even, you know, we read about being a surprise. I think for, for many people it was. It shouldn't be for us. But, you know, it was really a reversal of the earlier quoted jump that they did. They didn't say we're cutting 100,000 barrels. They just said we're going to dial back the quota. Let's get to Russia first, though, because I think this is the breaking news. This is the risk that we talked about when we were in Germany for a week back in mid-July, which is that gas would not resume to Russia. They did put Nord Stream back on only at 20 percent. Now it's off for three days for, quote, maintenance. Now it's off indefinitely until the Western sanctions end. I don't think it's too strong of a term, Courtney, to say there is an energy war right now that is starting to go on with the West. Obviously, we have the war war in Ukraine, which has played a massive role in this. But now, as many would say, Russia is weaponizing its, its energy output. And as I've said many times, energy is not a part of the economy. Energy is the economy. Economies just basically take energy and make it into useful and productive things to sell. And that is going to be a lot harder for Europe. Nord Stream offline. There's still two other smaller pipelines, by the way, that are coming into southern Europe, one through Ukraine, basically one through Turkey, which are flowing some Russian gas. And German storage is it ahead of schedule at 83%-ish. But they've never gone through a winter just relying on storage without also having flow and electricity prices in Germany still remain at, at heights that would cause uh, Americans' heads to spin. Yeah, absolutely. Those those prices are pretty insane. I know the European leaders are looking at some price caps. The new UK prime minister doing the same thing. I mean, are there knock-on risks? I mean, could what we're seeing this morning turn into a financial or political crisis? You're talking about an energy crisis, but what about financially, politically? What are ripple effects like? I think that's an excellent point, and I think that that is, I'm not going to say that that is guaranteed. Nothing in life is, except for death and taxes, as we know, but I think there is a real risk of some of that happening. And by the way, it's proving out right now, Court, and I'll tell you why. In the last 24 hours, and I, I'm not going to go through all of them, we've had a number of governments come out and say they're going to spend tens of billions of dollars on anti-inflation measures, whether that's in the Netherlands, whether that's in Germany. And the incoming U.K. prime minister, who I know you guys talked about earlier, Liz Truss, is talking about freezing energy bills for a year that would cost over $100 billion. Hmm. Politicians have to do this, number one, because the people are suffering. There are people who are not going to be able to afford to heat their homes across much parts, many parts of Europe this winter, period, hard stop. And that can become, obviously, not just a humanitarian crisis, but perhaps a financial crisis as well, because now you're going to collapse economies. There was a report out, Court, and I'll leave you with this. Six in ten manufacturers in England may have to go out of business because they can't afford their heating bill. I thought about it yesterday. I drove across the great state of Ohio, a thousand miles across the Midwest, and I was driving and thinking, what if six in ten businesses in Elkhart, Indiana, or Akron, Ohio, or Youngstown, Ohio, 
what if they went out of business? Six and ten. So I think there is a real risk of a macroeconomic situation, and you wonder, could that turn into a banking situation because we don't know who's holding what. By the way, we'll be doing a special tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. I, I think I just committed a TV sin, Courtney. <laughs> I teased my, I teased myself. I was going to say, Brian, I was going to do that for you. We have a beautiful... Oh, thank you. By the way, yours will be much better and, and won't sound as vain. So thank no, you. No, no. We have, we have a beautiful Wonderful. graphic up right now for our viewers that are able to see us on screens. The energy emergency is tonight <laughs> at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Brian, thank you so much for starting your Thank day you. early with us here right. on Worldwide Exchange. We'll make sure to tune in tonight. This is indeed a crisis we need to focus on. And so we're going to get some more analysis on the latest developments in this energy crisis. Joining me now is Katerina Filipenko. She is the global gas market analyst at Wood McKenzie. Katerina, thank you very much you know, for joining us. Brian brought up some really salient and, and quite frankly, scary points there at the end about the potential ripple effects of what could happen from this energy crisis that we're experiencing in Europe right now. I guess just to get started, what are your expectations for what's to come uh, in the European energy markets? Well, Europe right now is in a pretty good place uh, to withstand the winter without Nord Stream if the weather is normal. We actually expect that Europe will finish winter with the storage level um, slightly below the five-year average, but still at a comfortable level that does not require massive demand uh, curtailments. And it will be able to refill the storage ahead of the next winter to about 80%, which is below European target, but is still at, uh, at about five-year um, average. That is if winter is normal. But if winter is really cold in Europe and in Asia, this could potentially create problems and uh, Europe may run out of storage before the end of the winter. So the prices are expected to be really volatile this winter. What would happen if there was a full shutdown of Russia oil, Russia energy into the European region? Well, if there's full shutdown of uh, Russian gas into European region and if the weather, say, is normal, then we would still run out of storage before the end of the winter. And uh, uh, what it will cause, it will cause the need for massive demand uh, reduction. Actually, at the moment, we already assume that Europe will reduce demand in winter by about 7% versus five-year average, which is below the 15% that was targeted by European Union. So if we see the full shutdown, we may see the Union alert being triggered and uh, some of these demand uh, curtailments could become mandatory. And speaking of demand and of what consumers are using and then paying for, what do you make of some of the politicians' discussions around putting in caps um, on what consumers pay and then what those ripple effects are? So the cap is uh, is a very tricky balance for uh, European governments because on one hand, if you're putting a cap on, on uh, gas price, you need to make sure that the cap is low enough to support the consumer, support the industry. But at the same time, you need to make sure that the cap does not distort market signals, does not uh, reduce this demand response that we so badly need, particularly in industry. Um, this cap should also keep incentivizing um, gas flow in, into Europe versus Asia, so uh, outcompete in Asia for uh, LNG. And um, depending on the duration of this cap, the cap should be um, enough or, or the price should be high enough to incentivize continuous investment in gas because we will need additional additional gas, especially if Europe is trying to diversify completely away from, from Russian gas. 
It's an important discussion this morning. Katerina Filipenko, thank you for joining us to have it. Well, coming up, a key stretch for the retail sector. Dana Telsey lays out what the final months of 2022 look like for the sector and then key in on some names on her shopping list. And as we head to break, a news alert around the semi-sector. The Biden administration reportedly unveiling its plan to distribute $50 billion aimed at boosting the U.S. chip industry. According to The New York Times, about $28 billion will go towards grants and loans to help build facilities. Another $10 billion will go towards expanding manufacturing for older generations of technology used in cars and communication technology. And $11 billion will go towards research and development. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Welcome back to that tragic story involving the death of the chief financial officer of Bed Bath & Beyond. New York City officials confirming over the weekend that Gustavo Arnold took his own life when he fell to his death on Friday. Officials add that Arnold left no note behind and did not say anything to his wife, who was home at the time of his death. He joined Bed Bath in 2020, just after the start of the pandemic, coming from cosmetics company Avon. He also spent 20 years at Procter & Gamble. In a statement, Bed Bath saying Arnold was instrumental in guiding the organization throughout the pandemic. Arnold was 52 years old. His death is just the latest in a series of shocking twists and turns for the troubled retailer, including the ousting of its CEO back in June, Ryan Cohen's stock sale and last week's strategic turnaround plan unveil. Arnold was also recently named as part of a class action lawsuit by some of the retailer shareholders on allegations of artificially inflating Bed Bath stock price, along with activist investor and GameStop chairman Ryan Cohen. The stock sales in question for Arnold, though, were pre-planned as part of an agreement that he signed in April. In August, the filing, in the August filing, the company said that it was, quote, evaluating the complaint, but believes the claims are without merit. Bed Bath would not comment on litigation when asked by CNBC. Shares this morning are down about 16 percent of Bed Bath and beyond. Let's stay on retail. Companies in the sector turning their attention from back to school and return to office to the holiday season. Retailers continuing to grapple with high inflation and shifting consumer habits, as well as an inventory glut piling on to what's been a pretty tough year for the sector. The XRT retail ETF down more than 30 percent in 2022. For more, let's bring in Dana Telsey. She's CEO and Chief Research Officer at the Telsey Advisory Group. Uh, Dana, before we sort of move on to, to back to school in the holiday season, I know it's not in your particular coverage, but the Telsey Group does cover Bed Bath & Beyond. Anything that we've heard about the events uh, tragedy in the, during the weekend of the death of Arnold, the Chief Financial Officer, have any financial implications, anything to do with the financing that the company just was able to receive? The company just gave out its detailed strategy call on Wednesday about what the game plan for go forward is. I don't think the tragic events of this weekend impact the financial results of what the company will be. I think he had a tremendous impact. I know he was very well, very well respected and certainly well liked. And it's a tragedy. I do hear that there will be a new announcement of an incoming, perhaps interim or permanent CFO to, to be announced today or tomorrow. Okay, understand. Let's move on to, uh, to back to school and what you think is going to happen there after we just wrapped up at least the bulk of the retailer's results. And again, another bifurcated market, the haves and have nots just become increasingly more clear. Will that continue throughout the sort of the wrap up of back to school through that apparel spend and then going into the holiday season? I think you said it. The word bifurcated is what we're seeing, a real differentiation in spending between lower and higher income consumers. Keep in mind, inflation is keeping some of the growth rates up. 
Typically, the holiday season can be seven to nine times larger than what the back to school season is. And back to school is the second largest season of the year. I don't see any difference. Keep in mind that we're going to see the lapping of stimulus, the lapping of child tax care credits, the benefits that consumers had last year in their wallet. They don't have this year. As a result, I think the inventory glut that's out there is going to continue to lead to high promotions, given as so many companies spoke during the second quarter earnings season, the goal is to get clean on inventory levels by the end of the year. So that's going to lead to markdowns and promotions as we go through the back half. Companies certainly dealing with so many pressures from the higher costs that they are paying to run the business on everything from wages to freight. And then, of course, this glut of inventory and trying to figure out what consumers will be willing to buy. What are some of your picks as we look into the back half of the year, specifically the holiday season, Dana, for some of the halves? I think for some of the halves, you're going to continue to see a high demand for luxury goods. The growth rate of luxury may not be as high as it had been, but you're still going to see a solid growth rate. And whether it's companies like Tapestry, whether it's cosmetics like Estee Lauder and Ulta, I think those are some of the names that are certainly going to win this holiday season. And I'm anxious to see as we go through the season where we are seeing, for example, what some of the department stores can do. I know that we're certainly seeing Macy's, for example, lead with many different categories than we've seen in the past, and we could see some improvement there. I'd also say when you're thinking about apparel, look at what Ralph Lauren and Levi's have done. Ralph Lauren is raising their AUR and gaining acceptance for it as they widen their customer base. And look at Tapestry, where the inflection point to Kate Spade has certainly been compelling for both new and existing customers. Hmm. It is fascinating, Dana. And as we look at that bifurcation of retail that is sort of the thread throughout this, just very quickly, how would you sum up the U.S. consumer right now? I think the U.S. consumer is cautious. I think they're watching carefully because the spend on essentials requires more dollars. So the haves definitely are spending maybe not as much as they had been before and spending on experiences rather than just goods, while the lower income consumers are watching their pennies carefully with the trade down. Dana Telsey, it's always good to have you, particularly as we head into the back half of the year for retail, really important season. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, as we head to break, be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment event of the year. CNBC's Delivering Alpha returns on September 28th with economic leaders, policymakers, and the world's best investors sharing their expert insights. Just scan the QR code conveniently on your screen or go to DeliveringAlpha.com to register. Spotify or other podcast apps. World Road Exchange will be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Lots in store for the holiday shortened trading week. Today, we'll get ISM's services data, and the Senate returns from its summer break with just weeks to go until the midterm elections. Tomorrow, it's all about Apple as the tech giant holds its highly anticipated event, event where it's expected to unveil its new iPhone. We'll also get the Fed's beige book and earnings from GameStop Thursday. It's your weekly jobless claims, earnings from DocuSign, and the ECB's decision. And we wrap up all of that with the July monthly wholesale trade report and earnings from Kroger on Friday. But let's take a look at the broader markets here today with stocks looking to shake off their third straight week of losses, pointing to a higher open here with summer officially wrapped up. Traders are gearing for what is traditionally the worst month for the markets. But your next guest says there are mounting reasons to be bullish 
in the longer term. Sylvia Jablonski is the co-founder, CEO, and CIO of Defiance ETFs. Okay, Sylvia, why do I need to be bullish in the long term? Give me some good news to start off this Tuesday. Good morning, Courtney. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look back at the last few weeks, it certainly doesn't feel very good, does it? Um, I, I think that, you know, we're at an interesting point now. It feels like we're sort of at the June lows again. You know, we're not quite there, but NASDAQ is in bear market territory. S&P is pretty close. We got a pullback off of that that short-term rally. And I think, you know, a lot of that was was off of the Fed. And if we think about why, you know, we've, we've heard the reasons, right? It's been job and it's been inflation uh, data. So I think that inflation has peaked and it's coming down. If you look at the price of gasoline, that's a big factor. Housing is coming down. Durables are coming down. And consumer sentiment on inflation is starting to come down a little bit. So those are important points. Um, I, I also think that, you know, the market sort of overreacted to what we heard in Jackson Hole. Yes, the Fed is going to be persistent and, you know, very firm in terms of fighting inflation, but, you know, they're pretty close to where they need to be. So if we get another 75 basis points and then we get another 25 or so after that, you know, I think we're there. And I think once the market hears that the Fed is going to stop hiking, that's going to sort of turn things around. Also, just seasonally, you know, September is the worst month, but October, 60 percent of the time you get a, a rally there. So that could be, you know, the anti predictor there. OK, so that's a that's a glass pretty half full. Do you uh, think that a soft landing then is indeed possible? I think that a soft landing is possible. I think that if there's a recession, it's going to be um, a a short-term recession. I don't think it'll be prolonged, and I don't think it'll be, you know, deep and protracted like a 2008 situation, for example. You know, we're not in the middle of a financial crisis. The consumer remains strong. The consumer continues to spend, even if it's less. It's gone from goods to services. You know, corporate corporations are strong. You have solid balance sheets. Earnings might come down a little bit. You know, I I, I don't think that we're going to have stellar growth. You know, I, I sort of am bearish about growth, and I think we're going to see high single digit growth in coming years. But I think in terms of the stock market, you know, this is kind of when you pick your spots and you buy stocks that you really like that are priced, you know, far less than they were a few weeks ago. And look what happened, right? If you bought in June, you, you sort of missed out on what happened in July. So these things can, you know, tend to continue until the market gets to a state where we start seeing that trend again. Uh, timing is everything. So as we look forward and we worry potentially because of the historical data that we know about September, but perhaps are more more hopeful for October. What are some stocks on your shopping list? So I, I like the old tech generals. I like Apple. You know, we have that um, the, the big show, as, as we can call it, tomorrow. That's always exciting. I, I think that the company is um, a cash cow, strong balance sheet. You know, they continue to innovate and touch all sorts of um, consumer spending, whether it's through services or goods. Um, I like Amazon, Microsoft, sort of for the same reason, and, and Google. You know, I think that these are just strong quality types of companies that tend to do well in these types of markets. And believe it or not, I actually really like semiconductor. They've just been absolutely slammed. And these are names that I dollar cost average in over time because I just don't believe that NVIDIA and AMD are, are going away anytime soon. You know, you, you just spoke about this, but there's another bill coming out, you know, 50 billion going to developing manufacturing plants, you know, 10 to 10 or 11 to R&D, another 10 to technology. Right. Uh, you need this to innovate, to digitalize the economy, to sort of solve the jobs problem that we've had mm-hmm. and to move us forward. So I am a fan of semis. Well, Sylvia Jablonski, we covered a lot of ground. Thank you for joining us this morning. That does do it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 